it's an honor to bring God's word to you today. Uh, we uh, are going to be covering a passage of scripture that I think a lot of us really do love. Uh, and so it's Psalm 46. I'm going to read it and then we'll walk through uh, that scripture together. Psalm 46. It's in the Bibles that you have in front of you. It's on page 441. 441. Let's read this together. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear through the earth gives way, though the earth, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the king's kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. As we think about God as our refuge, I want to tell you a quick little story about uh, two Californians that uh, resided in the mountains near Santa Rosa, California. They... It was Jan and John Pascal, and in 2017, there were tremendous wildfires that were taking place there. It was in October, and uh, these fires were coming towards them, and they knew that, but they were still at home, and they could see the fires coming towards them and approaching them. And about midnight, uh, they jumped in their car to try to flee and and get away, only to encounter a wall of flame at the end of the road. And so they had to turn around. They couldn't escape. And one of them had this bright idea of, of, of hide, to take shelter, take refuge into their neighbor's pool. And so they did. John and Jan, uh, Jan and John, they, re- they got into the pool, and, and, and it was a cold October, but they got into the pool, and they were there taking shelter for six hours while all of these homes were burning all around them. The water was black as coffee from all the ash, from all that was burning all around them. But they were safe in that water. They emerged from that experience with a greater appreciation for life and the refuge that they had found. 
Well, I want to encourage you today. God is our refuge and strength. But what does that mean? Where are you seeking refuge today? Well, many of us might in the midst of our pain or in the midst of our difficulty may seek refuge maybe in a bank account. Maybe it's in the stability of a job. It could be in alcohol or drugs. Maybe it's the stability of a business that you own. It could be that we're seeking to, to just be distracted, distracted by movies and watching all kinds of things online to be distracted from whatever may be ailing us. But for the Christian, the one whose faith is in Jesus Christ, we have another and better option, don't we? We are called as Christians not to seek refuge in ignoring the facts or being distracted. Instead, we are, we are offered a refuge, a safe and secure refuge in God. He is our refuge and strength. And, and the spiritual shelter that God provides is something that will bring resiliency to your faith. And listen, I understand that not everyone here is going through some sort of difficulty, some sort of uh, pain right now. I just know that there's a lot of people that I talk to that are hurting. And we must find refuge in God. But how do we do that, right? What does it look like? How do we find this refuge where we are safe and secure? There are three questions that will kind of oppose to you today and, and answer. And, and here's the first one. Am I alone in my pain, in my trouble? Am I alone? The question, will I be alone, is answered for us in the first two verses of Psalm 46 with God's presence. With God's presence. It says God is, is present with us. It says God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. So he is a present help in trouble. These words remind us of of the trials, uh, our temptations, and the tribulations that we will face. And Jesus said in in John 16.33, it says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world. In the world you may have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. See, we are guaranteed. We're, we're, we're promised that we will have tribulation in this world. Yet God is a very present help in trouble, in our, in our pain. It's because he is our refuge and strength. It's because he is a very present help in trouble. It's because his strength is powerful, and his refuge is our protection. Look at verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. So what's pictured here in verse 2 is a lack of fear for the one who has sought refuge in a safe and secure relationship with Jesus Christ. He is our refuge and our strength. And though 
These things may seem impossible. Uh, You know, the earth gives way and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. We have no need to fear. Verse 3 goes on to say, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So listen, God is our refuge and strength no matter what. No matter what, even in the times of, of trouble that happen. The, you know, the things that disturb or inconvenience or, or interrupt our life, right? Or the things that cause us pain or loss. He is our protection. God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble. So the things that happen here in verses 2 and 3, we have no need to fear because God is present with us. And I think this is a great time to give you some background about Psalm 46. It was written after the time when the Assyrians, the Syrian army, was invading or at least trying to invade the southern kingdom of Israel. They had already conquered the northern part of the country, the the northern uh, kingdom of Israel, And they had already conquered uh, and destroyed many of the the fortified cities of the southern kingdom. And now they're on the verge uh, of invading Jerusalem, the city of God. And this was the last stronghold of the land of Israel. The Assyrians, they were a massive military machine. They were a million men strong. And, and, and they were the most feared, and, and, you know, and it was because of all of their ruthless, uh, terrible ways of warfare. But God, as he would have it, uh, there was a godly king uh, in Judah at that time, and his name was Hezekiah. Well, Hezekiah, now he's not a perfect man, but he was certainly had a, a man that had a heart for God. And so he was a godly king. And really, no doubt, Hezekiah and and the armies of Israel were were brave and noble men. But they were no match for the Assyrians. And at first, Hezekiah, he he tried to pay him off. He tried to pay off the king of Assyria. But that didn't last. And, and, And it didn't take long for him to discover that money would not buy him out of this. See, they wanted to conquer, and they wanted to subdue and take everything of the kingdom for their very own. They wanted to enslave, and they wanted to overpower God's people. Long story short, Hezekiah prays for uh, divine intervention, and God answers Hezekiah's prayer. And you can read all about this uh, in 2 Kings 19 or in Isaiah 37. And if you read that, you will see that God sent a single angel into the Assyrian camp. And, and, and that angel slew 185,000 soldiers in one night. The slaughter was so devastating that the rest of the army fled from the land. It was a great and glorious victory. So much so that these verses are the ones that were penned as a hymn of praise to God. God 
had preserved them down through the ages to be a source of strength, to be a source of comfort for each of us. Especially in those times when the world seems like it's turned upside down. That we're facing some sort of, some kind of impossibility or trial in our life. He is our refuge. He is our strength. A very present help in trouble. You know, right now I'm really thankful that community groups have, have already begun this past week. Uh, you know, and it's because I, I just saw, I was looking at Hebrews, uh, chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, and I saw that this is what we're doing. Let me read it to you. It says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love good works, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Isn't that exactly what we're doing in community groups? Isn't that exactly even to what we're doing right here, right now? See, it's to to be being present with each other. You see, the Christian faith is an embodied faith. It is a present faith. And so what I'm saying here is that for God so loved the world... That he didn't show his love from afar. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. See, the hope of the Christian is an embodied present one. And God is present to his people. Yes, he's in heaven. But he's also here with you. God God the Father is omniscient. He knows all. He is omnipresent. He is with us, and he sent his son to us to be Emmanuel, God with us, a name above all names. God is with us, not only the Father, not only the Son, but the Spirit is with us, indwelling us for those who believe. So what I'm telling you is that this moment, God cannot be any more present with you Than he is already right now. If you belong to Christ by faith. God is present with you. The Father omnipresent. The Son Emmanuel God with us. The Holy Spirit indwelling in us. God's present is with us to to cheer us up. to, 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 To give us joy. His abiding presence is with with us even to dispel our loneliness. See, Jesus takes on our loneliness. In fact, in Matthew 27, verse 46, Jesus cries out on the cross and he said, Lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it was during that time that the Father Turned from him while Jesus accomplished our redemption by taking on the full penalty, the full measure, not only of our sin, but yes, of our loneliness. That's some pretty good news, would you guys? Right? Wouldn't you say? Amen? God is present with you to cheer you on, to guide you. He is present 
Emmanuel with us. The Spirit is with us. And as Christians, we are never alone. God is with us. But will I have enough? That's the next question. Will I have enough? And this is an important question uh, with respect to many facets right now. As a, as a part of my responsibilities here at Temple, I, I speak to a lot of people that are struggling. And there is a common theme that people have of having enough. And we can look to verses 4 through 7 for answers through God's provision. So God's provision for his people, right? We may be wondering, you know, will I have enough during this recession to, to make it through, right? Will I be able to, the big thing is, will I be able to have enough groceries to buy enough and still be able to pay my bills and still be able to pay my rent or my mortgage, right? But God provides for us. Look in verse 4 and listen, remember, the Psalms are poetry. And there is a poetic image of of God's provision given to us. Look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. The, the imagery here is, is that of a river that's flowing uh, you know, into the city. And the river, you must understand that back in the ancient world, uh, you know, the, the climates were arid. There was a drought that was present. And so a river would have brought life. It, it would have sustained life. The river whose streams make glad the city of God is symbolic of God's provision for us. That he gives us what we truly need in the moment. And this is a promise of God's presence And it's repeated here in verse 5 because, by the way, we need that reminder, don't we? Verse 5, it says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. We see his presence there again. God will help her when morning dawns. And this is a picture that's best described. I, I can't help to think of this passage, Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So as the day begins, we sort of take each day as it comes. God will help. He will provide the necessary needs for us to get through the day. Materially, yes, but also spiritually, he will provide for us the resources of his grace that we, are, we together might endure. Whether we're having a difficulty right now, or whatever pain we're feeling now, or whatever trouble we may be feeling now, or that we're preparing for it for when it comes. And it will come. But we have the hope. We know of his presence We know of his provision, and through this, our difficulty, our troubles, they then provide us the hope that's needed, and then it grows a greater love for God. And it serves as a means in order to encourage, right, to stir one another on, to to serve each other, 
and our neighbors. And then our experience sometimes brings wisdom in order to to help other people to get through those difficult times as well. So God provides for us. We see his provision, you know, here through a river, through his help that comes when morning dawns. And I want to encourage you that when you're facing something difficult, see it as an opportunity to move deeper into God's provision for your life and to use those opportunities to be thankful, to be grateful for his provision. Now, I understand uh, people feeling like they don't have what they once had. Maybe that's maybe that is groceries. Maybe it's not being able to eat out as much. Maybe it's you're not buying the things that you enjoy. Uh, Maybe it's not things. Maybe it's the love you once had that's no longer there. But throughout life. There will be times when we are deprived of things. And it should make us think and understand how the Savior left the throne room of heaven to come to this earth. He willingly entered into a time of deprivation to to, to rescue us. Our Savior knows that deprivation. And he willingly left the treasures of heaven to come and rescue us. He loves us with with that kind of love that he was willing to do without. That we, by faith, might have everything. Our Savior's gift of forgiveness, our Savior's gift of justification, the gift of righteousness, this, this exchange... That happens by faith, our sin for his righteousness, it's all part of God's ultimate provision. The Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. It should, should, should take on a new meaning when our dependence is placed upon him in new and different ways. He provides for us. God is our provider And if we look in verse 6 and 7, we see that his provision is not dependent, not on the activities of other nations, uh, on the activities even that happen in the world. Look at verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. What this shows us is that God is not dependent on the activity of anyone in terms of giving us his provision. Then look at verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He is our fortress, the place that we should take refuge and strength. So will I be alone? God is present with us. Will I have enough? Seek God's provision, even in the little things. And then the final question here for us is, who is in control? Who's in control? And we'll see these answers in verses 8 through 11. And it's answered by God's providence. 
God's providence is a way of saying that he is sovereign. He is the ruler over all. That his actions are not dependent upon anything else or anyone else. And we see that really all throughout Scripture. Here's just a couple of references to show his providence. Acts 17, 28, it says, In him we live and move and have our being. Colossians 1, 17 says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Proverbs 16, 9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Who is in control is, is, is answered by God's providence. He organizes all things for us, for our good. Look at verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord. He has brought desolations on the earth. You know what? God is powerful enough through his providence, to control everything that takes place. Everything that happens. And we're invited here to behold the works of the Lord. You know, I I, I thought of this when uh, this came up. It was like this, uh, it's like an invitation of you, like, showing a picture on your phone of maybe your kids or your grandkids, and you're like, Behold, these are the most beautiful, smartest children that ever existed, right? This is an invitation. He's giving us, the, the, he's saying, give attention to and look for the works of the Lord, even in the, the midst of pain, in the midst of disease or financial difficulty or even death. And we see in verse 9 that God is able. There is a communication of his power here. Look at verse 9. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. See, God is able to make wars cease. And these powerful instruments of warfare, the bow, the spear, the chariots, all these listed here, verse 9, he's able to destroy them all. So God powerfully works out his providence. We can trust him that he's working through his own providence. So much so that we're given this invitation that is based on the providence of God. And God then speaks in first person and says, be still and know that I am God. You see, sometimes we are faced with a difficult time. And in these hard places, we want to amp up our activity. We want to get busy. We want to deliver ourselves from whatever is on our minds. And we want to control our own situation. And and oftentimes this results in some sort of stressful, frantic activity. And this reminded me of Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. You don't have to turn there. But this particular passage of Scripture takes place as the disciples are traveling uh, with Jesus across the lake. And, and the storms swell up, and they're, they're being rocked about in, in the boat. And, and what's Jesus doing? He's asleep, right? He's asleep in the boat. 
And all the disciples, they're terrified. They get all stressed out, and they're probably bailing out water uh, you know, out of the boat. And they finally wake Jesus up, and Jesus stands up and says what? Do you remember? Anybody? Peace. Be still. Right? And I heard another pastor uh, that referenced this, and he said, I wonder... Who was he really talking to here when he said that? He said, was he talking to the storm or was he talking to his men? Right? Because we know, you know, it's probably some form of both. We realize that because we know the storm did calm. But if you read the text there, what happened to all the men? All of a sudden, they're quiet. And now they're asking a new question. Look at Mark 4, verse 41. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this with me in the boat? Right? He is the all-powerful. He is the one in control. I think they started to realize that it wasn't the boat that would save them from drowning. It was the one in the boat that said, peace, be still. You see, we can rest, we can trust in God, we can trust in him when he says, be still and know that I am God. Because listen, it is our knowledge of God in his presence, his provision and his providence that which invites us to be still. I'm going to say that again. It's one of those things where it's important we say it twice. It is our knowledge of God in his presence his provision, and his providence, which invites us to be still. So then we see in the second half of verse 10, God's determination to work everything out to its end. It says, he will be glorified. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. See, no matter what, God will be glorified. And all of our activity must serve the glory of God. To give him glory, which he rightfully deserves. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted on the earth. And this mention of the nations here has with it that kind of Matthew 28, uh, kind of great commission progress here of the kingdom, of the going out of the good news, the discipling that takes place uh, when people uh, repent and come to Christ. God will work it out. I know people will say, well, God, it'll work out. Yes, God will work it out. And we conclude with verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. See, sometimes we just need to be reminded, don't we? That God is our refuge and strength. He is the place we should seek refuge. Verse 11 is a repetition of verse 7. You see, though, that this states the warrior name of God is used here, the Lord of hosts, because he is able through his power to organize all of the events of history exactly as he wants them. Together, uh, we might give him glory For how all of our trials, all of our troubles, 
all of our hurt, all of our pain, he works it out in the end. And here we're invited in, in Psalm 46, we're invited that this is heart knowledge. It's heart knowledge in the very character of God that we, that we can take refuge and strength in. You see, we can still enjoy the beauty of life through the power of the gospel, even in the midst of our pain. I do love verse 10, though, as many of you do. Be still and know that I am God is an incredible verse. Songs have been written. uh, Poems have been made. Countless numbers of sermons have been preached. And if you Google it, you will see all of these beautiful mountains, these placid, calm lakes, just peaceful. Peaceful, calm images. But when we understand it in its context... And we understand it in its original text. It would, it would be more accurate if those pictures were of noise and of strife and disease and pain. While he's saying, be still. See, it means to let go. To let God. To release. To, to let down your hands. Give up trying to to figure things out. Stop trying to do it your way, by your own strength. Let go. Let God give in to all the striving and all the struggling. Give up trying to be God yourself. Trying to be godly in your own strength. Seek to be in the place where God is. A place where your heart just stands in awe of him. A place where you have such an insatiable hunger for him to know him. To know him more and deeper than you ever have. But maybe you have a hunger for other things, the things of the world. Maybe you feel like those things are going to fulfill you. Well, I want to let you know that God will let you pursue them. He will let you run the course. He'll let you journey the world seeking to fulfill whatever seems missing in your life. And if you choose to do so, he'll let you run so hard, so fast, so far until you've exhausted yourself of all your strength. Until there's just nowhere else to turn but to where he is until you finally sought refuge in him. And when you finally get there, God says, only I can fulfill the longing of the human heart. And that I've been waiting for you. So when there's nowhere else to turn, he says, I am here. I've been waiting for you for you. See, God is merciful. I just love the graciousness of our God. The mercy of God is still uncomprehendable to me. He is with you always. Stop trying to be the one that has all the answers. 
He is our refuge and strength, our provider. Give in and know that he is in control. Trust in him. I'm going to ask the the band to return at this time. Stay with me as uh, she comes up. God sent his son to be present with us. He sent his son to be present with us. Not to love us from afar. I want you to look at this scripture with me. John chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to to whom all you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you. I wonder if someone asks you, what, what is eternal life? Would that be your same answer? Would you give the same answer as Jesus? Eternal life is knowing God, Jesus says. Listen, you exist because God wanted to share himself with you. That's why we're here. Revelation 4.11 says that it was by, his, by God's will, by his desire, that all things were created. This means you're here because God wanted to share himself with you. He wanted you to be here so that he could share himself with you. You're here because God is too good to keep to himself. He, he, he must and needs to be shared. Well, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension, he, he went into heaven. And Acts 1.11 makes it clear. It says that Jesus himself will one day return to the earth. And he will return the same, the same way that he left. And one day we will be rejoicing and singing of his victory. What a glorious day that will be. I was preparing this message and I was constantly reminded of the Lord's Prayer. It just, he kept putting it on my heart. He kept putting it on my heart. The Lord's Prayer. I saw it woven all throughout Psalm 46. The Lord's Prayer. It focuses our thoughts on what's most important in life. I believe that all prayer, all prayer should be grounded in the Lord's Prayer. Because what it does is it summarizes all that we must do to be good and faithful servants. Namely, to revere God, to accept his will, to know his word, to love each other through forgiveness and resist evil. We're going to pray and we're going to have one final song. And during the song, if you have, if God has put something on your heart that he wants you to share with someone and you want to talk to someone, 
Uh, I'll be up front, and uh, there'll be some men and women in the back on your right at the prayer room. But I just found it to be fitting that we would end today's message with the Lord's Prayer. If you will stand together, if you know the Lord's Prayer, you can say it with me. Uh, And if not, it will be up on the screens. A little different today, but I just felt God was leading this. It comes from Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Jesus said this, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.